A fiber in itself is just a data structure. It's a very declarative description of what you want your UI to be. And then React takes this description of what you want your UI to be and does the work of reconciling that with a host environment. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we're joined with Tejas Kumar. Welcome to the podcast, Tejas. Hey, Paul, how's it going? I'm excited for our episode today because we're going to be getting into some React guts, into some internals of React. So Tejas has very willingly come on this episode today, and we're going to get into like React Fiber, you know, some of the internals that we don't usually talk about. But before we get into that, Tejas, are you a React guy? Is that like your bread and butter? Or do you come from a different area? Like, why did you come on? You're like, oh, yeah, let's talk about this thing that a lot of people don't get into the guts of React. Like, how did we get to this point? That, that's that's a really good question. So I'm not I'm not a React guy. I It's not my bread and butter. I just, I, I'm just a curious person. I like exploring things. And like when I, when I was a child, I used to like learn by taking things apart and then like, you know, oh, how does this Lego Death Star composed to be the Lego Death Star, you know, this kind of thing. And so React is the most popular way to build user interfaces, I think on earth, on the web anyway. So I'm like, okay, this is cool, but like what's actually happening? And if I wanted to build it myself, how would I do it, right? So it's just a curiosity thing. Of course, none of this is actually needed to like use React at all. You just use it to build great stuff. But I'm just curious. That's that's uh, that's why. Right, yeah. And I remember before the podcast, I was like, asking you like oh what do you do and teachers is like well i you know i do a lot of things so it's not your bread and butter but it's something that you you've come to tool with and foster curiosity about getting to that point where you were curious about it was because you yourself were building applications or um helping other people advise them in building applications yeah so i i've been a i started my career as a front-end engineer and i've been doing front-end for very long and then i pivoted and did like back-end and ops and all of these things um and and lately i've been just more into like management but i've used i've used react a lot and i still use react a lot to this day so i think that's probably why and and part of now you know as i've moved more into management like my role has been more so on the like understanding trade-offs while also like mentoring people and that's that's why yeah now you're more in the managing space do you feel like this topic that we're going to be getting into, which is the guts of React, like the fiber, this deep knowledge. Is that something that from your bird's eye point of view is missing from a lot of front end engineers? Yes, but it's not a problem that it's missing, right? Like this is not, this is not, this is not information that people need to know. No, like people could completely not know this and miss even this podcast episode, the technical details of it. And, and, their careers will be fine. Like this is really nothing people need to know outside of maybe the React core team or, you know, it's just, I find it interesting because it does help me like write more like fluent React. It helps me personally, but like, I don't, like people who don't know this could just go through life and build great apps still. From my, from my point of view as you come from the front end world, I come from the back end world. When I want to go tool the system, you can add a module, you can add a whatever file. But if you understand the end to end of how something's working, like if you're part of the, the core team of two or three engineers, when the thing gets built, every feature you add is going to be intentful and purposeful in every line you write. I mean, as long as you're still doing your job correctly, because you're able to wrap your head around that. And I think that Maybe this might end up in that same basket of like, yeah, you're writing more fluent React because you're embodying the ethos of like how the system's designed. Exactly. Versus, you know, it also prevents you from like I've heard like earlier in my career, I heard a lot of people talk about like you're fighting the framework. I think when you understand certain things, you're like, ah, okay. So 
I, this is the more like React -y way to do something. Particular, like there's a lot of confusion about. So React has this this thing called use memo, like a hook, which will memoize a certain return value of a function for you. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion about among most people I talk to is is when to use it. Like when do I memoize something versus declare something new? Um, and a lot of people I've seen tend to like over optimize. Like they'll put everything in use memo, which is which is arguably less efficient than just having certain values be certain values. Um, and when you understand like the guts, you kind of understand the nuance of of when to memoize what based on the based on the render loop, the work loop that's happening. So it does help, but some some would say then these these benefits and performance you get from using use memo fluently are insignificant. They're they're more micro optimizations and they don't matter and so on. So it's it's a very interesting space. Well I think those types of optimizations, at least in my experience, they they really their their benefit is reaped when you are solving people problems. It's like how do we expand on the code base? How do we onboard a new engineer? If it's like if you can figure out something with just the frameworks docs and reading the code, like you probably did things right. You probably used things correctly. So Anyway, the, the, we've been building up about like why this is important and like the guts and why we're going to talk about it. Let's get into it. Let's get into the guts. So we're talking about React Fiber today. What is that, Tejas? Like, what, what is this a like a section of the core library? Is this like a new way to think about how front end life cycles are arranged? Please fill us in. Yeah, you're you're a back end developer, right? Yes. So you're familiar with like. Maybe not. I don't know. But like in, in gaming, there's this con this concept of like double buffering. Yes. Yeah. It's like that, right? It's it's not a fiber in itself is is just a data structure. It's a it's a big object that contains state that that maps to a tree of elements. This tree of elements describes what you want your UI to be. It's a very declarative description of what your of what your of what you want your UI to be. And then React takes this description of what you want your UI to be and does the work of like reconciling that with a host environment. This is usually a browser, but it could be like a mobile device. It could be a command line interface. It could be whatever, you know, React renderer you're using. But a fiber is just like this, this unit of work that is used in reconciliation. In, in, in the work of reconciling your description of elements that you want versus the host environment. That's, it's kind of like, and the tree of elements is written in a very declarative way. If you, if you work in the ops space, it's kind of like a Kubernetes manifest. It's like, I have service, this is the configuration, Kubernetes, go make it happen. Okay, so we, is a, could I think about a fiber as like an atomic operation to get me one step closer to the final physical state? Yeah, it's not an operation, but it's an operand. It's a thing on which an operation happens. So, so a fiber is, is a is a just a big JavaScript object that has state on this thing was created here. The stateful node of this thing in the host environment is this. It's literally just a massive key value object um, on which operations happen. Or another way of saying that in in the React functional language is it's a single unit of work on which um, effects happen uh, to speak functional programming. So React will take fibers and perform effects on them. Effects like placement, like putting it in the DOM, or effects like removing them, effects like changing them. Are the fibers sort of aiming at being a holistic representation that like iteratively get 
change to get us towards the end state or are the fibers more like parts of a whole that individually are going to be operated on to bring us to that final state? Yeah, that's a really good question. They're both. Um, so so it, within React, since version 16 or currently in version 18, there's, there's this notion of the fiber tree. Um, there's actually two fiber trees and they're literally just, you can think of them as trees of fibers with leaves. There's two of them at any given time. Um, one is called the, the, the current tree, and that is actually the tree of fibers that gets painted onto a host environment, like in the browser. And there's an alternate or work in progress tree. And it's literally just a linked list, right? A, a, a tree of, of fibers, wherein those, the work in progress tree has operations done on it that, that reflect the desired state that is then switched with the current tree when what is called the commit phase happens. So like to simplify, if your current fiber tree is like a counter application with like a number and an increment button, then when you click the increment button, React does the work of incrementing your counter, but in this other tree, in the alternate tree that is not rendered on screen. It's just in memory. It's detached from the browser. Um, it will do the work of literally like going through each fiber that is each node in the tree um, and marking them like this thing should be updated, this thing should be updated, this thing you can skip, et cetera, just marking like flags of what should change on the way down recursively. Um, and on the way up, it will literally construct a tree of what will be the, the DOM in the browser. It will construct this tree by attaching things to, to, to each other until the, the host is reached, until the top is reached. Um, and when, when this tree is constructed kind of in memory off the browser, that, that then the commit phase is entered. So what we talked about before, the commit phase called the render phase, is just doing the work of like marking updates and attaching things. And then the commit phase is, okay, we're done. Let's put this thing in the host environment. And that's effectively in React, that's, that's um, switching a pointer. So there's like a fiber root node and internal React data structure that points usually to the current tree that the user is seeing. But after the work of reconciliation is done on this detached tree, the work in progress tree, the pointer of like what is on the screen is switched and the work in progress tree becomes the current tree and you see the update on the screen. That's very high level how fibers work in the React Fiber Reconciler. The, the reason for this is to allow like interruptions because like sometimes if there's, on, if there's work being done um, you and and like a higher priority update comes in, like for example, user type something in a input field, like you'll want that input field to update instantly. And so if there's some other work being done in this kind of detached tree over here, you can throw that away because the actual thing the user is seeing hasn't changed. So they're not going to end up in some Frankenstein state. This kind of reminds me of like the server side rendering dance that happens uh, with like a framework like Next or something like that, where you have two different state trees and then there's a reconciliation step between them and you said that one of the main purposes of this is uh interruptions yes right you allow like uh now is is that interruption allowed at any phase within the reconciliation or is there a specific point that the um the interruptions usually interrupt <laughs> for lack of a better word yeah that's i mean so like the, the fiber reconciler works on two, two phases, right? There's the render phase, the commit phase. Um, and, and as we've talked about, render means just mark everything for updates on the way down and build this tree on the way back up. Um, that is interruptible. But once you get into the commit phase, uh, you're literally like putting stuff on the screen. That, that, that is not interruptible. 
Um, but thankfully, commit is is quick because it's just switching a pointer. It's not really doing any like CPU intensive work. Um, all of the CPU intensive work happens off the screen. And so it can be thrown away if it takes too long. This also then allows some type of like fallback. For example, if React schedules some work to be done on this work in progress tree, and the work is taking longer than a certain timeout, it can bail out halfway and, and show a loading spinner. Like, hey, this is taking longer, like show a little spinner, and then continue that work. And then once the work is done, commit it. This is possible with the fiber reconciler. Um, the legacy reconciler didn't allow this because it was called the stack reconciler. And it literally worked like a stack data structure. Like it couldn't, it had to do things in this like sequential order. Tasks were pushed onto the stack and they had to be popped in order. So if, if any higher priority work came in to be done, you would just have to wait. And you would have these like unresponsive user interfaces. Kind of makes sense it was designed that way though, because it's really a traditional. Like, if I were to like go make a render, it's like you put things on, you take them off in a deterministic order, and it, like we are all we are all used to thinking about stacks, yes, as a way to store and access information in a deterministic way. But I, that kind of makes sense to me now why this is called a fiber, because it's really like a more of a two dimensional set of tools that we're working with here. Exactly, and if you consider any you know user interface and your interaction with it, it's geared more towards an interruptible context switching type of workflow. Like we never do things sequentially, though we think about it that way. Yeah, it's our way to like grapple with it mentally. Yes. So the fact that this isn't a tree, does that allow like, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that like, it's crazy to me that this fabric reconciliation step among amongst many other things, is being done like 60 times a second. And that's crazy. <laughs> that's that's like that's that's nuts. That's a lot. That's really fast. So because of the fact that it's in the tree, and please correct me if I'm wrong if it's 60 times a second. I, I don't actually know. But is is it in a tree because you can like take off sections of the tree? You can be like this whole object portion is not affected. The reconciliation steps only going to run for these nodes, these leaves. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's that's exactly it. Correct. And so because because the whole point like React reconciliation even is a thing is because without reconciliation, what's the alternative? You you throw away a DOM node and then replace it with another one. Right? You you're not able to update in place. It's very important to update in place because for like if we take the simplest example of like a text input field, right? The moment you click into this thing and start typing your name, if you start typing like like Paul, P-A-U-L, if you type P the state of this input field at any given point in time or at that specific point in time is that it has focus and it has a blinking text cursor inside and the, the letter you just entered was P. And so now if you go to type A, that state is maintained and it becomes PA and then U, etc. You need to update in place for that reason. If you don't, if you just replace it with a new input every time, even with a new value, you lose your focus and you lose your blinking cursor. And then the, the element isn't really focused and you can't, you press the next character, nothing happens and it becomes very messy. And, and by replace in place, you mean within the tree, you're literally just surgically going to that one node, you're taking it out and you're putting in a new one. The rest are the same. Ye that's the alternative to what actually happens. That's the, oh, that's the alternative. What actually happens is instead of replacing the text node, you just change its properties. And so the fiber reconciler recursively going through the work in progress tree will mark this text note as this thing needs an update. This is the update that needs to happen. And it will continue through the tree. And then on the way back up, build this like 
updated tree and then switch them to commit. So the it's very important to know that the state nodes, the elements themselves stay the same. Uh, it's just their properties that change. And and React, the, re the reconciler will mark which properties need to change. Gotcha. Okay, so it's like a property-based control versus a whole like root-level node control. Yes, because if you replace the entire node, you lose its state, and then the user interface suffers. Oh, uh, yeah. See, I've had no idea how any of this stuff has worked. Yeah, I'm learning so much on this podcast right now, and it's like fantastic. We've actually, we have a lot of React podcasts. We've done ones on... Um, like writing good React, writing tests in React. Um, like you said, it's like the ubiquitous framework of the day. Like if I were to write a UI, I would probably just turn to React. Also because I'm lazy and I don't want to like go learn a new framework, even though I should, because learning is how we are always improving, right? Um, but if people, if people want to go learn more about React, check out our other Pod Rocket episodes. Like we have quite a few on them. So if you want to get more in the guts or in the weeds or get ideas, yeah, there's also there's also blogs on on I think it's the Log Rocket blog. Yeah, yeah, we have quite a few random articles uh, that people have found very helpful. So yeah, there's blog posts. There's blog posts about exactly this about React guts on on your blog as well that people may find helpful. Yeah, so go if you're listening, you want to find more, please go check them out. So if if somebody didn't know like myself, didn't know anything about Fiber. Uh, the React Fiber Reconciler, how it worked. And when we entered this podcast, you were very much of the opinion of like, you can be amazing and you will never know about this because it's this is a, a curiosity sort of thing. So having learned this, as if you wanted to employ this to write clean React, is there a tangible example in your experience that you can think of about like, now that I knew this, I did this thing differently? Yeah, like now that I know how the Fiber, how the fiber Reconciler works, I actually do... Uh, the, the biggest, the most abstract change I made is that I don't think too hard about about performance because I, I know enough to know that it is literally the, the entire job of React to take care of my components and reconcile them in an efficient way. Um, so I used to I used to be like very pedantic about most um, most performance work, especially also because now React is is working more towards like a a scheduled concurrent style of rendering where where like tasks that are very CPU bound and take a lot of time are are being scheduled in an, in a way that some have priority some don't etc such that my slow tasks aren't going to impede my apps as much as I think they are if that makes sense so i it sounds almost controversial to say but i think less about about you know performance um, as i used to knowing that React has my back. Although, like, of course, sometimes if something is too slow, I'll use a profiler, I'll check the flame graphs and fix it. But it's not, like, as preeminent as my mind as it would have been otherwise. Do you think that there are any um, bugs that you've come across that having this new context, you've been able to look at the flame graph with more efficacy or, or something of that sort? I think, no. Um, I feel like a, a simple bug that why well, it looked like a bug, but something that I thought was a bug, but I didn't understand was why, for example, the rules of React hooks apply. I don't know if, if you write a lot of React, but like with React hooks specifically, like you can't, for example, have them be conditional. I was like, why, why is this? And when you, when, when I understand the internals of how hooks actually work, I did a talk on this once um, and everybody in the room was like, oh, you know, um, so understanding the internals has, helped me understand not really the bugs, but like why things are the way they are, specifically why I'm not allowed to like nest or or have hooks that are conditional. Is that the talk that you gave at um, 
code gen? No. <laughs> no. Okay. okay, that was another one about hooks. Yeah, there, there's a talk um, called Deconstructing React that I did that is pretty fun. I, I was not prepared for this at all. It was just like... Those are the best talks every time. Yeah. Yeah, there was a speaker who, who didn't show up or something, and the meetup organizer was like, dude, help. And I was like, uh, okay. And so I just decided to try to polyfill react so we never imported react but we just like built something with react but javascript told us like react isn't defined so i was like okay let's define it iteratively and just create it from scratch and we ended up doing that and then understanding like why it is the way it is so the big takeaways that i'm getting from you Tejas, is like this is a great tool react has become very stable it's allowing us to think less about performance and if we want to take a tangible thing away as a developer it's focus more on your core logic and your abstractions because you don't have to think of much about performance any as much as much people oh man i'm gonna get so much hate for saying don't care about performance it's not true i think performance is important and it's important to work towards it in as much as you're able but i think at some point there's something to be said for trusting the library to do what the library does i've i've re-implemented a, or rather i've done a lot of work that actually react does for me just because i didn't know that react was doing it for me i think that's the bigger takeaway is if react promises um, minimal efficient changes to your ui then to take that at face value and and just focus on my ui trusting the library that makes reconciliation go away or makes the problem of reconciliation go away i think that's the key but i think again to fully trust it you have to know it. Um, and I think that's the benefit. That's the value of understanding the fiber architecture and fiber reconciliation, right? And and why it, it ended up being the next logical project progression from stack reconciliation. I think that's key. That's a great takeaway. I feel like to, to, to even close out with like, if the framework's doing something, let it do its thing. As, but like with the caveat is make sure you understand. Um, it's like with art, you have to learn how to, you have to learn the rules so that you can then go break the rules confidently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And or, or not worry about breaking the rules because you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. Heck yeah. Well, Tejas, thank you for your time. I certainly learned a lot in this session of ours. Um, hopefully some other people can be turned on to the React Fiber and like take that take that torch and run forward with it. Can I, can I test you, Paul? Please. Can I do a quiz? So... Why again? Uh, does does React use the fiber architecture instead of what it used to be? Well, because it has interruptibility. <laughs> That's so cool! You actually, yeah, okay. And and how is it interruptible? Because, like, if you're painting it to the DOM, that stuff's gonna happen. We can't stop that. But they were like, you know what? Let's try to like break this into two separate phases. So when we're doing the whole logic, the CPU intense stuff. That's happening off screen. And that's a whole like chunk of work that we can play around with. We can stop it. We can start it. We can sever it up and only do a portion of it. And it gives us a lot of flexibility in the speed and when things get painted to the screen. That's what I took away from this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So doing the, doing the rendering off the screen and then putting it on the screen when it's ready. Yeah. That's good. Tell me. All right. I feel like I'm missing 10% Tejas. What's the last 10%? I, I think, yeah. No, I think you're, you're on the money. It's just, I feel like the 10% is the work of reconciliation gets done off screen. I think you were right. And if it's CPU intensive, I think this is the missing 10% is, is the work can be thrown away because it's off the screen. Nobody's seeing anything happening. The work can be thrown away 
new work can be done to just put a loading spinner on the screen and then the work that was thrown away can come back into scope and be finished and then the loading spinner goes away in favor of the actual finished work that goes on the screen. So I think the disposability of it and the ability to drop in a spinner after a given timeout, I think is something that I didn't quite get in your recap. But I think you're 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 on the money, at least as much on the money as you can be in in this time. So, <laughs> well, hey, look, I got the I got a stamp of approval of education, so that's great. Hey, I got my um Tejas Kumar degree. I, I'll be accepting <laughs> one of them in six to eight weeks. Uh, uh, Tejas, uh, your name right here on our video chat is at Tejas Kumar. If people want, is that like a handle? If people want to go follow you. Yeah, that's an underscore. Tejas Kumar underscore. That's my that's my Twitter handle. I have a YouTube channel at Tejas K. YouTube.com slash at Tejas K. That's my that's pretty much what I do all day, every day. YouTube and Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Tejas. It was it was a great session. All right, Paul. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot.